0: We hope you're encouraged by today's message happy father's day to everyone I got here this morning and my dad was here and we're working and running around and I like totally didn't even say happy father's day to him I'm like the worst son ever where did he go he's out there greeting people I mean he's but happy father's day to the rest of you and all the fathers that are out there today if you're new here we'd love to know that that you came to visit us you see in the back of your chairs there's uh the, the little coaster like the but there's a QR code and you can let us know um, that you are here. I promise we won't we won't stock you too bad. No, but we, we just love to be able to say Thank you if you uh, through that same app is the way that we give we value uh, giving It's it's uh, an honor to be able to give and you can do that through the app You can if you have any questions or prayer requests, you can also uh, Get that through that the app. So uh, Again, welcome to Pacific Point Church. It's great to be here with you guys this morning no one's in the splash zone which is kind of crazy like this is you know you remember you've been down to SeaWorld right where you stand right now this because I spit a lot so that's the splash zone but you guys are wise because you don't sit there well done we are in a new series and it's called 37 37 percent is the series. And it's based on a study that, that um, we've seen I'll tell you about. But what we're doing during this series is, is we want to be able to answer a couple questions at the end of the service. So if you have a question, you can text it in to this number. Okay? This isn't stump the pastor. This isn't be a smart aleck. That's not what this is. If you have a legitimate question that you want answered, um, uh, just text it in and I'll tackle some of those questions at the end of the service today. So this series 37 is based on a Barna study that says this, a majority of America's Christian pastors do not carry a biblical worldview. We could stop right there. That is shocking, 37%. Okay, in fact, just slightly more than a third, 37%, have a biblical worldview, and the majority, 62%, possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism, known as syncretism. That, if that's mind-blowing. When we get in the minutia of the numbers, you can actually look deeper in it. And what it says when you look deeper in it is that only 12% of the youth pastors carry a biblical worldview. 12% are teaching our children they have a true biblical worldview. Scary statistics. So we're, we're doing this series. Why a series on the biblical worldview? Because Revelation three sixteen says this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you from my mouth. And that scares the hell out of me, literally. The fact that, that someone could come to this church, that someone could be a part of this church... And, and not have heard the truth of the word and be lukewarm and walk out of here and just play the game of Christianity froze me. And it's my responsibility as a pastor to push and prod and, and pull out of you so that that is not our story, because that's not who God has called me to be. Therefore, we're talking about a biblical worldview and how do you walk it out? A biblical worldview is this in a biblical world, God is the center. It is Jesus. It is the Father. It is the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is the center of your world. Everything else through this word is, is seen through this scriptures, through these scriptures and, and truth comes forth from the Trinity. In a secular worldview, man is the center. You are the center. It's your world. You possess truth. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. In a secular worldview, worldview. Syncretism is this, and, and, and this is what they say that, that the, the majority of pastors are now doing. It's an amalgamation or an attempt to, of amalgamation of different religions, cultures, schools of thought. This is what I talked about last week, and this is the picture that I gave up of it last week, and it's this, that you take a little bit of the Buddhist, a little bit of the, of the Hindu, a little bit of the Mormonism, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and you throw it on the plate with Jesus, and you call that Christianity and it's not. In fact, Jesus is very clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no, there's no hodgepodge. There's no buffet line where you get to throw what you think is right and what you don't think is right, pull it all together, and make that your religion. That's a secular humanist worldview. Barna does this survey, and when he does this survey, it's based on 54 questions dealing with purpose and calling of life. Family, that's what we're talking about today, and fathers, God, creation, history, faith practices, sin, salvation, human character, human nature, lifestyle, personal behavior, beliefs and behaviors related to the Bible, and truth and morality. These are the the questions that were asked when they surveyed around this 37 and it's interesting because I didn't plan it this way but family uh, fell on this day Father's Day so it's a perfect lead-in to uh, Father's Day and what we're going through around this being a biblical worldview a biblical worldview on family and fathers what does that look like what does it look like to hold a biblical worldview on fatherhood or families what does it look like to look through these scriptures out and be a father fathers are to be the primary influence in their children's worldview. It is my job as dad to, to walk my children into a biblical worldview, but not only walk them in it, but let them see, experience, taste, and feel what it is like to have a biblical worldview. A man's success as a father is largely determined by his commitment to inspiring and training his children to develop the right worldview. Know this for certain. Everybody has a worldview, Every single one of you sitting here has a worldview. The question is, what is it? Is it more a humanist, secular worldview, or is it a biblical worldview? Where are you walking? Which camp are you in? So let's start by looking at some of the numbers, because numbers tell us something. They, 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 they paint a picture, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of these numbers before, but First of all, let's start here. Father, the word father, occurs some 1,255 times in, in, in 1,038 verses in the NIV. You've got to stop, stop smoking. I'm serious. I told you to stop smoking last week, and you continued, and look what's happening now. Emphysema, choking you <laughs> Yeah, all right, get this kid some water here. Uh, mother occurs 320 times in 295 verses in the New Testament. Now, it, it, least ladies think that, that um, we are uh, uh, chauvinistic or otherwise, know that this is all about order. It's about the fact that God, for whatever reason, I don't know because I'm not God, decided to show himself as a father. Therefore, there's a a system, there's a process, there's a theology, there's life around this, which makes sense as to why we see father 1,255 times and mother 320 times. It doesn't mean that one is more important or one is less important than the other. What it means is order, that there's an order that God brings. Fathers in a biblical worldview, these statistics are, are pretty crazy, but it says this. If both the father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers. 41% will end up attending irregularly. Only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing at all. Okay, that's both father and mother. If the father is irregular and the mother regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regulars themselves. It's crazy. While a further 59% will become irregulars, 38% will be lost. Interesting. Here we go. Let's keep going. If a father is non-practicing and a mother is regular, only 2%, 2% of children will become regular worshipers. You have seen the pattern here? The pattern isn't that moms are more important or dads are more important that's not it. The pattern is God gives an order. And the order is is dad leads, mom follows, children follow. But in that following and we'll get into it, it's it's not a lording over. It's a deference. In the same way we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a a distinct order as Father God and the Holy Spirit send the Son to the earth to die for our sins. And then the Son leaves and leaves the Holy Spirit and says, It's good that I leave, because the Holy Spirit will be here with you. There's a deference that they give to one another, and a security that is in that deference. In the same way, the picture in marriage, there's a deference, yes, I am called to lead my wife as a husband, as a father, and, and My wife is called to follow, but there's a deference that we give to one another, and I'm no more important, and she's no more important, but there's an order that God has called us to, and the world's trying to disrupt the order. Let's flip it now. This gets real interesting. Let's look at the figures the other way around. What happens if the father's regular, but the mother's irregular and not practicing? Okay, we just saw the numbers. They weren't pretty for the father irregular the mother regular. The percentage of children becoming regular goes up from 33% to 38% with irregular mothers and 44% with the non-practicing. As if loyalty to the father's commitment grows in proportion to the mother's laxity or indifference to religion. Interesting. Fathers in a, a biblical worldview. If a father does not go to church... No matter how faithful his wife is in devotions, only one child out of 50, one out of 50, will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of the children will become churchgoers, regular or irregular. Those stats are mind-blowing. And what it should do for us as fathers is put a little weight on us, a little conviction of what God has called us to do and how He's called us to lead. Those are the stats on church. Let's look at some quick stats on everyday life and fatherlessness and what that looks like. Data from the United States Census Bureau shows that nearly 18.5 million children grew up without fathers, which has in return led the United States owning the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. This nation leads the world in fatherlessness. Data shows that children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child with two-parent household. Furthermore, research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. That, that is... Those are crazy statistics. They should be answers to, to why we see what we see. The connection of our world, kind of our, our country, kind of deteriorating. There shouldn't be any questions why. The, the first and foremost is we pulled God out of the equation. And secondly, now we've pulled fathers out of the equation. What are we left with? And I don't mean that, what are we left with? Women. That's not what I'm saying. Be real careful when you walk out here and don't call me a chauvinist I have tape to prove that I'm not (laughs) these this data is is frightening how did this happen that's the question we have to dissect to see how did this happen where are we at in order to figure out what we need to do we first need to look at how this happened we need to examine what is going on see slow is fast what do I mean by that you know there's a slow burn and then all of a sudden it's gone And so many times, you know, in life, there's this slow burn that we don't see, and it it just keeps us in this lull, and this lull just kind of, and then the next thing you know, it's over. And, And we're in this kind of a season, even right now. So how did this happen? It happens because the enemy hates God and family. Satan hates God and hates family. The thief does not come except, the only reason the enemy, the devil, comes is this, to steal, kill, and to destroy. He doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Satan rejoices. I love this quote that I found. I can't pronounce his name, but I, I found this quote. Satan rejoices when homes are ruined. He fights to make families feeble. If the enemy can get at your children, he can get to the parents. Now, conversely, if the enemy can get to the fathers, he can get to the children. It's this duality of attacks. On one aspect, he's, he's hammering the children. The other aspect, he's, he's hammering the nuclear family and the father being the head of the family. And we're seeing the results of it today. We're feeling the weight of it today. Now, let me, let me qualify, because I know we have single moms in here and single dads, too therefore there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and the reason that we have church one of the reasons that we have church is because it's our job as a body of believers to stand with single moms to stand with single dads to, to come alongside with their children to be a, a, a community of believers that love others well so much so that the family is extended beyond just mom and a couple of kids or dad and a couple of kids that, that there's, there's a family a church family that will walk you through and with you through all these situations it's critical crucial for the church to respond and understand that how does it happen though all the craziness of what we're talking about it happens while we sleep what do I mean by that I mean by what I mean by that is the fact that the church ah, well I'll do my usual that people come to church on an average of twice a month what do I mean by that? And I, it's, it's only, you know, one. What do I mean by that? That there are people that come and go in church and really have never led a single person to the Lord. There are people that come to church, check in, check it off their list, say their prayers, take communion, feel better about themselves, and then leave and go live like hell through the rest of the week. They don't live a true biblical worldview. And, and while the church is sleeping, while the church is, is, is doing this, the world is changing around her and changing dramatically. You see, the Marxist worldview on fathers and families says this. Marx admits that destroying the family is a thorny topic. Now, when he says that, what his idea is this, I do want to destroy the family. Marx said this, Karl Marx, okay? He says it's a thorny topic even for revolutionaries. Even my group of people, he's saying, it's really difficult The abolition of family, even the most radical flare-ups of the infamous proposal of the communists, yet their purpose is still to unwind the nuclear family. Marxist worldview, best of all, abolishing the family would be relatively easy. Uh, um, I just went totally, does anybody know how to pronounce that? Bourgeois. Bourgeois. I totally practice it too. And then I just went blank. Bourgeois. It doesn't look like bourgeois, does it? Gina, come on. English teacher. Gosh, where are you when I need you? So relatively easy once bourgeois property was abolished. Bourgeois means middle class. Basically, you're you're taking out uh, that that middle class. You're pulling it out. So the, the bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its completement vanishes. And both will vanish with the vanish of capital. You you had it, you don't like you know Bourgeois. Okay, good, perfect. No, I didn't spell it wrong. <laughs> that, although that would have been a good a good answer, me spelling it wrong definitely could have been. The Marxist worldview is deconstructing the family, deconstructing capitalism. Slow is fast. Have you ever heard of how you cook a frog? You've heard that, 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 how do you cook a frog? You put him in nice cool water and you slowly turn up the heat until it he finally gets to a point of boiling and he doesn't realize he has been cooked. And, and we're in this, this season now. How do you cook a frog? Slow is fast. We look at atheism. We look at atheism in, in antiquity, which means the beginning of time, secular humanism an 18th century enlightenment started marxism 19th century sexual revolution the 60s through the 80s. Roe v. Wade 73. Homosexual agenda 92 is when it started to crank up. BLM 2020. And I know I'm making someone mad right here, but let me let me dig into this because look, there's a biblical worldview, there's a secular worldview, but they are not compatible. They can't sit in the same camp. They absolutely cannot be married to one another. So at the very least, if I've touched something that froze you right now, at the very least, you have to acknowledge that Christianity and this word does not sit in the same camp as these. And and let me give you some pictures of what that looks like. And and the homosexual agenda. According to the Williams Institute, 1.4 million adults identify as transsexual or transgender. About 0.7%. I mean, that's minuscule. And between 1% and 4% identify as homosexual. Tell me this why is the voice of the, of, of the homosexual agenda seem more like 90% or 95%, when in reality it's less than 5%? Why is the voice of, of one movement radicalizing? My children, your children, our children, for 0.7% or 4%. Why is that? And I know I'm stepping on toes. I'm all right. That's all right. I'm here to step on toes. Look, if if you don't get offended at some point during my service, during church, then you're probably in the wrong place. If everything you receive just feels good in your belly, go somewhere else, please. It should grind against you. There are certain things that should grab you and you have to wrestle with and go home and go, hey, you know, let's talk about this. There's just no way around it. The next one's really going to piss some people off. BLM. This was in their statement of who they are. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by support supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children. Now think about that for a second. That sounds fairly innocuous. It sounds kind of, okay, that's good. We're going to take care of each other. The problem with that is it steps outside of God's biblical order. First of all, they want to dismantle the, uh, the nuclear family. Secondly, two of the three original... Uh, uh, people who started BLM were avowed Marxists. They were a trained Marxist, the very thing that we're talking about, a worldview that is completely against what God's Word says, that is completely against His Word. And then they go into you know, the village collectively. Now, a minute ago, I just said single moms, hey, church, we need to come around. Takes, basically, I said it takes a village, Correct. Now I'm saying, wait, wait, that's not right. What I'm saying is this, order is this. First and foremost, dad, mom, need to determine children and where they go, how they go, and what their education looks like, and, and the, uh, their worldview. Number one, I, I, don't, I love you guys. I need you to support me in my family with my kids, but it's not your job to determine and direct my kids in life. It is absolutely never a teacher's job to direct my children's morality, to shape my children's heart. It is a teacher's job to teach my children arithmetic. It is a teacher's job to teach my children how to spell because my teacher didn't do a great job, as you see. They need to teach them how to read. They need to teach them how to write. Not about what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man. Not their job. B.L.M. would... Disagree with that the Marxist movement would disagree with that Marxist specifically on families says this that the nuclear family performs ideological functions for capitalism The family acts as a unit of consumption and teaches passive acceptance of hierarchy That's the father being the leader It is also the institution through which the wealthy pass down their private property to children thus reproducing class inequity And the Bible says this, that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That a wise man in his family leaves an inheritance. All right, slow is fast. Each of these significant movements that have taken root in America and preach a strong worldview, and in many cases, they have taken root in our churches. Hence the study that says 37% of Christians, pastors, live a true biblical worldview. This has taken root, these worldviews, in pastors, pulpits, in churches. And it's starting to take a turn. Do you know that they have one thing in common, though? There's one thing that all these worldviews have in common. There's, there's one thing that they all hold, each have an origin in Scripture. The Marxist. The, the homosexual agenda, BLM, uh, I- every worldview has an origin in this scripture. Atheism, the sexual revolution, all of those things have an origin. And the, the, the origin where it all starts is here in Genesis 3. Every one of those worldviews has to do with this scripture right here that says this. The beginning of humanism is right here in this moment. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, Was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom She took it and she ate it You see that is the beginning of atheism That is the beginning of secular humanism that Scripture is the beginning of Marxism of Roe v. Wade of homosexual BLM sex whatever whatever the ism is It's the beginning and the beginning of it is this I know more than God Therefore, when God said, don't touch that tree, I'm going to touch that tree and eat of its fruit because he doesn't want me to be like him. It was the start of humanism. It was the start of, I'm in control, God's not. It was the start of, look, I've got the answers. God, you don't have the answers. It was the start of, I can be in control of my life. God, I don't need you in control of my life. And every one of those different uh, uh, isms up there has to do with man-centered worldview. Humanism today, the same as in the garden. The humanists favored the right to the control of one's own body, sexual preference or orientation, and reproductive freedom. This is the declaration that that was written, the humanist declaration. We infer the clearly uh, implied message, avoiding telling someone else what to do your responsibility to fulfill your own sexual passion and didn't indiscriminate, it, abandoned. In other words, whatever's right for me is right for me. Don't tell me what is right and wrong. There are no standards. This word, you can just throw it out the window. Now, here's where it gets tricky with Christians because most Christians I know, they get in here and they, they'll pick out three or four things they really like and they'll stand on them all day long. And they'll take five or six things or ten things and they'll throw it out the window. But the reality is this it's the fullness of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And if there's something in here you don't agree with, don't talk to me about it. Talk to the creator of heaven and earth about it. The one that is beginning and end, the Alpha and Omega. The one that created you. That knew you in your mother's womb. The one that, that, that has purpose for your life laid out. Talk to him about it. But you don't get the chance. You don't get to pick and choose what you think truth is. Truth is the word of God. Truth is Jesus incarnate. Truth is the Father. Not what you want it to be. Not what you think it to be. And we need fathers Who take this word and they stand on it? They take this word and they value truth so much so. That they go, okay, I'm going to stand here. And here's what happens. Something comes along and I get knocked off the word. It happens. And then I go, okay, no, no, no. Let me get back on the word. Let me stand on the truth. And, and, and difficulty comes and, and, and compassion comes. And, and a family member is, is one who's transgender. And you're like, how do I not? You know? And you get knocked off the word and you start going, well, maybe God may, you know, this and all those things. That we, and you go, no, 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 no. Okay, I, I can love, but I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word. See, we need fathers that are willing to, at the, the risk of, of whatever the risk is, of, of, of stand on that truth and build a biblical worldview into their children so that we don't lose the next generation. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes it feels like he's winning. He's not. But sometimes it feels that way. So why is it there are Father's Day? Is this our Father's Day? You know, oh, happy Father's Day, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, go have lunch and have a good breakfast, you know, yay. The reason it's Father's Day is because God's answer is a nuclear family. From Genesis to Revelation, it's fathers. And he uses them. What are the attacks on fathers? What does it look like? Homer Simpson, headship, and toxic masculinity, to name a few. There are more. Homer Simpson let's start with the slow cook Homer Simpson phenomenon do you know that that, 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 that show is the single longest running show in the history of television it is, it is if not the most or one of the most uh, 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 they've made more money on that show than any other produced show in the history of time I mean, it is it is American culture. It is strong. And there's some funny stuff. It, it really is. Although Shirley wouldn't let, let us watch it because, you know. Anyways, okay. Don't put anything before our eyes, Shirley. Okay. Homer Simpson. I mean, this is a picture of, of this, you know, that this cultural icon, Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson is the paragon of foolishness, incomplete and arrogant. He is enlightened about, unenlightened about his children's friends, hobbies, and emotional needs. He is neither ignorant or worse. He's apathetic about the stress that his antics place in long-suffering, anxiety-riddled, ridd- ridden uh, blue-haired wife Marge. He is brash and boorish, selfish and stupid, See, something happened in the 70s, and there was a change in fatherhood. And we went from fathers being steady and being the heads of households and, and carrying the weight of life along with their wives to them being buffoons. Something happened in the culture, and we started getting guys like Ted Bundy, you know, married with children. What man wants his daughter to marry a Homer Simpson? What man would ever want his daughter to marry a, a, a Ted Bundy from Married with Children? All of a sudden, these great role models of dad changed, and the feet—have you noticed that the feet started getting cut out of men, and they started emasculating them, and they started making them look like idiots? It's a slow cook. And, and Alex, this writer from The Atlantic, and The Atlantic is a, is a strong left uh, magazine, said this On television shows, dads have been portrayed as incompetent adults, reflecting and encouraging a damaging attitude towards men in childhood. This is a liberal that is saying this about our culture and what we see. Do you think it's by chance? Do you think it's just, oh, let's just make men look stupid? or maybe just maybe that slow burn is let's cut the legs out from underneath fathers let's emasculate men let's change this this nuclear family the way that their God said it's supposed to be it's not by chance there is an agenda headship slow cook the reason men are portrayed as idiots the goal Uh, is to break down the God-ordained order in family. The goal, as I said, is to cut out the feet of men in the family. And we're seeing that with homelessness, or we're seeing that with fathers that have left the home. We're seeing that through divorce. Headship is lost. What is headship? It is a godly order. Headship starts, we see it in Genesis' narrative, God creation. First with Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. The notion of Adam's headship and where that stands, we see... Adam's creation prior to woman, Adam's naming of the an- animals prior to Eve, Adam's naming of Eve subsequently to uh, to God's creation of her, God's holding Adam not Eve responsible for Eve's sin even though Eve had sinned first, the woman's designation as a man's suitable helper. Let me stop right here because there's some women in the crowd that are going, "You're an idiot." I'm just preaching the gospel but here's what I know that I know that I know in 26 years of being in the ministry and, and counseling hundreds if not a thousand different couples and, and marriage counseling and couples counseling here's what I know that I know that I know that I have yet to find a woman who where he, she has a man that will cover her that will cherish her that will love her well isn't willing to submit to the order that God created why? Because of the way God created women and men. She is, he never rules over her. He walks alongside. That's why when we see that scripture, he took the woman from his rib, from his side, not from his head or his feet, not from his feet, lest least he should trample upon her, not from his head, at least he should rule over her, but from his side that they should be one and complement one another. But don't tell me there aren't differences between men and women. Don't get caught up in that. It's not true. Don't tell me you can't define what a woman is. Don't tell me you're, a bio- you're not a biologist so you can't tell me what a woman is. That is crap. I just cussed in church. I'm sorry. Although, is that really a cuss word? Okay, headship. Let's, let's go a little deeper here. Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ. So also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Remember what I just said. I've yet to meet a man or a woman who's not willing to do this if the man does the second part of the scripture, which is this, to die. See, we we, we like to talk about the submission part. Women, submit, 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 sit at my feet and just worship. Not true. That's not the submission that he's talking about here. But we forget to talk about this next part in Ephesians where it talks about what God has called men to do, which when you look at it and you break it down is a heck of a lot more difficult than what he's called women to do. Because he's called women to submit, but he's called men to die. And so many times we don't do that well. Your job is going to be to present to the Father, God, your wife. And that she's to be whole. And she's not to be wounded. And she's not to be broken. Because God has called you to cover her, to pray for her, to walk with her. God has called you as the husband and the man To be responsible what happens within your family. And what the world is trying to do? They're trying to get us to abdicate that role. And they're doing a good job of it. Slow cook, toxic, toxic masculinity. Late 2019 was the book For the Love of Man by Liz Plank. On the very first page we are told toxic masculinity is more dangerous than nuclear war. Think about that. Toxic masculinity is more dangerous than a cell phone. Come on, it's kind of funny. (laughs) I love it. Um, It's more dangerous than nuclear war, followed by the chapter after chapter of this woman just calling men and masculinity out, essentially for whatever reason she wants, whatever reason she wants, Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. The slow cook in toxic masculinity looks like this. We tell our boys they can't play with guns and they can't fight. But then we tell our boys they can dress up like girls and they can be women if they want. Are you kidding me? Toxic masculinity is this. To emasculate a young boy would be to tell them that he can't fight when things aren't right. And I'm talking, I'm not just talking metaphorically, I'm talking physically. Uh, There's a a friend now that is going through that with with this son. And and they've done everything to say just de-escalate. Go to the teachers. Go to the principal. De-escalate. De-escalate. And it's still not working. So at that point, they said, time to drop him. (laughs) Time to give a shot. What are we doing here? We lost? Whoop. Look if you take away a boy's right to fight You'll emasculate him and let me ask you this if you have girls in here young girls. I have daughters I do not want a man to marry my daughter that can't fight for her That can't cover her that can't love her well Guns You know you can't play with guns really let's see what happens when another country comes to invade the united states do we want our kids to play with guns in i've got a son who just went off to the navy he's playing with guns he's in heaven (laughs) he's so he's like ah dad it just the just the way that little boys are wired Don't tell them they can't fight. Teach them how to fight. And what I mean by teaching them how to fight is this. Son, there's five other avenues that you go through before you ever throw a punch. Go through those five different avenues, but if it comes to this line, throw a punch and teach your son how to throw a punch. Don't take away the ability to fight from your children, from your boys. And don't tell your boys to dress up like little girls. Don't tell them they can be whatever they want to be. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And this slow cook is this, as we talked about, Marxism to, to the sexual revolution, to empowering women sexually, to abortion. I have the choice to kill my baby if I want to, to, uh, to all of these, these, these agenda after agenda after agenda. And what it's doing is setting up to, to emasculate men and change God's order and weaken the church. It's a slow cook. Like it or not, we're in a war. war. There's a war going on. And for some of us, the enemy goes, this is great because you don't even care. So much so that you're not even engaged in the war. So much so that you're not on your knees praying. So much so that you're not willing to take a stand. We're in the middle of a war and the enemy wants to cut the head off the family, which is the Father. We just showed you statistically what that looks like. And it's scary if we continue down this road. A biblical world in fatherhood looks like this. God's intimacy both within the blessed trinity and in this relationship with us is expressed most powerfully through fatherhood. The picture of God the Father. This concept can be difficult to grasp in a society where fatherhood is blown out of the water, where it's diminished and even been replaced by other forms of parenting. It can be hard to grasp, but, but this is our job as a church. This is our job as, as, as parents to, to have role models of what it means to be a father. To walk in this. Time to fight and take back the value of fathers again. It's time, men. To fight, to stand up, to be the men, to lead your families, to lead your wife and kids. Because here's what I know. You will stand before God someday and he will ask you, what did you do with this beautiful woman that I gave you? What did you do with these beautiful kids that I gave you? Did you grow them up in the, the, the wisdom of the Lord? Did you grow them up with a biblical worldview in which they're able to look through and understand this world in a different way than the way the world is trying to sell them? Were you able to do this? Father, it's time. Fathers, it's time to be the men of God you're called to be. So where do I start? Let me just finish with this. I'll give you a couple of quick, you know, number one above everything, love your wife. Love your wife. Let me tell you this. More importantly than loving your children, love your wife. Because here's what I know. When a man loves his wife well, I've never seen him not love his children well but there's a lot of times I've seen a man not love his wife well and not love his children well. I've said this before, and, and I'll tell you again, we sit at our dinner table, and time and time again, I tell my children, I look them in the face and say, I love that woman more than I love you. And, 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 and what it really does is bring security in my children because they're not going, I wonder if mom and dad are going to live together. I wonder if mom and dad are going to divorce. I wonder if mom and dad are going to make it. No, I love that woman more than I love you. And then, as you guys know the story, then the next question becomes well, who do you love more after mom? And my answer is always depends on what day it is. <laughs> love your wives, cherish, honor, cover your wives. Number two, find and accept your children's uniqueness. As a father, you find the uniqueness. No one defines your children or should define your children in a greater way than the father. The father we see scripturally creates us and and sets a path out before us. And then what he says to us as fathers is know your children, their purpose, and direct them in it. Find their uniqueness, accept it, and walk them in their purpose and who they are. Number three, affirm your children's value. I don't know, I'm not always good at that. In fact, last night we were, uh, walk, or was it this morning? No, it was last night, Georgia had played some soccer game and she had a couple great plays and she's walking by and I'm like, Georgia, great job on that. And she's like, Chris is like, stop, the universe. Dad gave you a compliment. I'm like, really? It's that bad? Jeez. Uh, but affirm your children and the value of who they are. That's what fathers do. You know why? Because that's what God the Father does to me. He affirms me in who I am and the value that I am. Number four, trust your children and give them responsibility. Look, this scripture is is all about we've talked about. God says, here you go. What are you going to do with it? I trust you with it because you have a biblical worldview. You're able to handle what he gives you and do well with it. In the same way, the pictures I take my children. I go, okay, I'm going to trust you with it. Here you go. Here's some responsibility. That's the job of a father is to take his children, do what God the Father has done in your life, and then into your children in the same way. Number five, correct your children without breaking their spirits. What does that mean? You can spank your children without breaking their spirits, or you can spank your children and, and remove their spirit from them. You can literally beat it out of them. When you discipline your children, fathers, it's it's to restore them. It's not to break them down. Which sounds odd. You can discipline a child to restore them. You're restoring them unto father because they have sinned. You're restoring them unto the family because they have sinned. Otherwise, how do they get restored? Or you can beat the heck out of them and they'll go into the corner and not understand what it means to be restored. Restore your children. Number six, I love it. Laugh with your children and create memories. You know what a father does? You know what the Father God has done in my life? He's given me this beautiful thing called a brain that brings memories. And, 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 and I look in the mirror and I can laugh and I look at you guys and I definitely laugh. And the humor of God the Father that, that created us. And, and when you're with your family and creating memories and, and laughing with your children is so important and so crucial, that's what fathers do. You know why the world's trying to cut the legs out? Because when a father does these things, when a father loves his wife, accepts his children, affirms his children, when a father trusts his children and gives them responsibility to grow up, when a father corrects his children without breaking their spirit and when a father laughs with his children, what happens is you get healthy young men and women that have a healthy biblical worldview, that stand on conviction, that stand on truth, and are living in this world and preaching the gospel. And I don't mean preaching the gospel like this. What I mean is they're loving others well. And the gospel's going forth. And that's the responsibility of a father. That's what God has called us to. And lastly is this. Most importantly, run towards your children, fathers father god runs towards me and this picture in luke 15:20 with the prodigal father is so good it says he got up and went to his father this is the son that had been all over the place and sold his birthright and done everything wrong he got up and went to his father and it says this but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him so much so that he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, without getting into the depth of the, the historicity of that story, the, the father, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish man in the clothes, would never be seen caught running. It would, it, it, it just wasn't done. And this picture is, is amazing to me. And why the world wants to cut the legs out of dads is so that the fathers won't run to their children. And there'll be bastardized children all throughout this nation. And we'll see chaos. And we'll see movements of people trying to grab a hold of something because they have nothing. And we'll see death and we'll see carnage and we'll see right, wrong, wrong right left right right left and the enemy knows this the enemy knows this and that is his plan it's our job as fathers it is our job as fathers to trust in this word and who god is and be the men that god has called us to be i don't think we've lost the war even here in america I still have hope. I have hope because, you know, I, I see guys like Eddie and Paul and, you know, Jason and all. all I see these men, Rick, in, in the crowd, and I go, I have hope because these are men who have a conviction, a biblical worldview that will steward their children well. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. For these men and women Lord there, there was a lot there God and get some some things that were sensitive Holy Spirit I pray that you would uh, bring clarity Lord in any spot where I was less than clear that you would bring clarity God help us to walk in this a uh, biblical worldview it comes to family, when it comes to order. God help us as men, as fathers, to be the men you've called us to be. Oh God, have mercy on this nation. God forgive us for abandoning our roles as father. Forgive us for leaving our posts. Forgive us, Father. Lord, let us lead. I'll let others see you in us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Okay, so we were going to answer some questions. So you have one of two choices, and I'll leave it to you. I can fill them out and give you the, for next week, or we can we answer a couple today? I don't know if people have reservations. I, I totally messed that up. I apologize. Do you want to answer a couple questions, or would you like to wait? Yes? Okay. Just a couple minutes. Be seated. We'll hit a couple of these questions, and then we'll, we'll go. I'm so sorry. It is Father's Day, so I guess I get the grace to do that. Uh, what do we do with boys who can't physically fight? How can we fight in a non-physical way? Well, the, the greatest way to do that is a spiritual and mental fight. So if you train up your boys in a way to be mentally sharp that usually that, that fight is more effective than, than a punch. A punch lasts for a couple days, four days, the bruise. But a, a strong mental mind that has a, a great biblical worldview, that can last into eternity. What I'm saying is, is sometimes that's the last resort. But first and foremost, we want to train up our boys to be sharp mentally, to be able to, how to figure out how to avoid Throwing a punch, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Okay, or you can take lessons from Seth on how to take down. There you go, wrestling. wrestling. There you go, Seth. Got a great takedown. <laughs> All right, next one, Seth. Um, how do I cultivate a culture of respect from children? What if they don't respect me? Ah, uh, that's that is a that has happened over a period of time. Now here's what I know with five kids you build a culture of respect starting from the day that they're born or even before they're born by the way that you deal with their mother so it happens before the child's even born but then let's say that you don't do a very good job of that child comes and they grow and you haven't built a culture of respect Um, here's what I know and we've done a decent job Chris has done a fantastic job of building a culture of respect in our home but that doesn't mean that there aren't times they don't respect us, So they don't make m- remarks and do stupid things, okay? Um, but what it means for us as parents is we go back to, to this word that says, first of all, honor your father and mothers and, and, and your days will be long. We take them to the scripture of what it means to be kind, what it means to have respect, what godly order is. Father, mother, children, you know, what that looks like. How do I cultivate that respect? If you haven't had it or cultivated it, today is the day of cultivating respect. And really what that may look like for some is this. When you have dinner tonight or this next week, you have a, 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 a white, uh, you know, a sticky note and you go, okay, what does it look like to be a fill in the blank, a blue? What does it look like? Here's what we believe it looks like to be a, a blue, which is our family. To be respectful, to be kind, to be gracious, to tell the truth to not fight. I'm talking about with your sisters and brothers. So you can start today to build that. The road may be a little more difficult, it may be a little tougher one to hoe, but you can still build it. But this respect really starts first and foremost with mom and dad and their respect for God the Father. If you don't have respect for God the Father, there's no way your children are going to have that same respect for you. So it's order, and if today is the day. Start today, start today. Seth, go ahead. First Corinthians, Paul writes that a woman should not. Oh gosh, I knew this one was coming. Speak in church. (laughs) Are we also to practice that, even if it seems wrong? How do we stand on the Bible at all times with commandments like that? How do we differentiate in culture, context, and we have gosh. I literally, there, I got ten books over there that could answer that question, and I don't have forty-five minutes. But let me give you the, the, the quick, abbreviated um, view. Uh, first of all, my wife is preaching this church, and I'm sure it's offended some of you. Sorry. Okay. I, the, here's we are what, what's called soft complementarians in this church, and I've talked about this. Complementarianism is, is is this. Complementarian is, uh, is that that men lead and there's order and structure within in that. And I believe that. And what we believe is this: in within our home, we don't believe that that there we will ever have women elders that rule over men. But for a woman to speak, and you can count on one hand the number of times that a woman has spoken. But I, I'm not opposed to it. I think there's room for it. I think often God parallel to one another this side of heaven we don't know where they intersect one truth taken to one side as an extreme is heresy another truth taken the other side is heresy the truth is somewhere in between and I think there's some some gray there now for some of you there you may have a, a personal conviction about this go I can't be in a church that allows women. that's fine the issue isn't about you being in a church that allows women to speak the issue is this the issue is that you need to be in the church that God called you to be in regardless of what you feel and sometimes he'll put you in a church that isn't as comfortable for you, but because God has called you to be there, you need to be obedient and be there. That's, that's just, there's so much more here, but that's, that's what you get today. Okay, next. Last one. Let's do one more. How can biblically-based pastors come together and use spokespersons and modern media outreach to overcome the worldly propaganda? Oh, gosh. My, you know, there, there's a tension there. and. and Get different answers my answer is this one i'm not worried about 10 million i'm worried about one and if one father in this church loves his wife well loves his children well and does what he's supposed to do outside of these these buildings of this building then he's going to impact many now think if 50 of us did that think if 40 of us did that what impact we have. Because Jesus never, you know, it was never about the crowds for Jesus. In fact, you look in the scripture, he regularly thins the crowd. He draws a line. He goes, let's eat in my blood, drink in my flesh, you can't be mine, you can't follow me. And a bunch left him on that day. You know, time and time again, he, he you know, Go, let the dead bury the dead. You know, just, he, he, he just, he draws these lines. Um, so I, I, I think um, there's something in the community of one one person who's obedient, one person who has a conviction, one person who's willing to stand. So my job as a pastor, what I believe God has called me to, is, is to grab a hold of some men that were willing to walk out of this building and be the men that God has called them to be. And then where the impact goes is in the hands of the Holy Spirit, not in mine. So that's, oh, one, oh we got one more you want? Okay, last one. What I do if my child doesn't want me to pray for them and pulls away even further when I try to speak into their life. Well, when we had that issue, we spanked them. So that's easy. <laughs> totally kidding. You know what? Um, you know, age, the age is, is, is an interesting question. I'd like to know the age of the child. But, but in general, what I would say is this. Pray for them without them. But then here's what you do. You pray at dinner and they don't get a choice about that. You pray as a family, they don't get a choice about that. But I would allow the Holy Spirit to do the work as opposed to you doing the work. What do I mean by that? Get on your hands and knees with your wife and pray for that child. Go in that room when they're sleeping and pray over that child. Sanctify that room. Just pray over that room. Pray that, that God move moving. Because I, I, I've i seen a lot of times where, what, do you really want to force your kid to pray with you? Gosh, what does that do in a child's soul? Ah, this God thing, you know? I, am, I, am, I have more trust in the Holy Spirit that he can do a work in my child by me just praying and standing and believing than if I just grabbed him and shook him. I'll, I'll finish with this statistic that Barna did another study some years ago. I don't remember how long ago, but it said this that homes where parents allowed for their children to question God or not believe in God, okay? Homes where this went place, that, that those children at a, it was, like, it was like high 60s, 68% of those children came, ended up coming back to church. Homes where parents could, go, you're going to believe in Jesus, and you're, you know, you're going to repent and go to church and, you know. Those homes... The statistic was like in the 20s. You know why? Because at the end of the day, it's got to be your kid's relationship with the Lord. Now, to that same thing, as I said, just second to an example, a couple years ago, Huddy's like, ah, I don't want to go to church. I don't believe in this Jesus thing, you know? And I'm like, dude, fine. It, my Jesus, you need to find your Jesus or what? I said, but you're coming to church because that's what we do as a family, whether you like it or not. You see the difference there? there's one thing we do as a community, as a family, and there's one thing you do shaking them down. I don't want to shake my kids down. I want them to experience Jesus on their own because if they experience my Jesus, they're not, it's not going to stick. They've got to encounter Jesus in their own lives, not the Jesus that I'm dishing out. Does Make sense? All right. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.